The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky thing, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is an architect in Washington, D.C., who's written a uh, new book, um, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, Housing for Humans, a book to imagine, create, and design a new housing model in America. And... uh, we're going to talk about how that came about and what that all means with the author, uh, Ileana Schinder. And she joins me by phone. Ileana, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, you are, Tom. Yes, my name is Ileana Schinder. But yeah, you're pronouncing it very, very well. Well, good, because I'm terrible with names. And <laughs> so I, I always want to ask. Um, Ileana, I read somewhere that you started at a very early age wanting to be an architect yeah i think that i started like a lot of little kids do by playing with legos and blocks and uh, toys like construction toys like that and then as i grew up i realized that it's something a career that i could really develop in um i'm from argentina a lot of my family was in construction engineers architects and careers like that and it was kind of a natural way to go to school for that career as well and you chose to 
design housing um, rather than skyscrapers? How come? <laughs> I um, I started my career here in the U.S. in about two th- in the two thousands, and I actually started working for larger firms doing institutional design, like colleges and universities, part of large teams that these complex projects. And in 2014, I started to um, think about opening my own firm. My my son had turned one, and I realized that work-life balance, is, it, it, it took another priority. So I opened my um, an, a studio by myself here in Washington, D.C., and I started doing interior innovations, um, you know, jobs that most times um, are not touched by architects. And um, Washington, D.C. is a very, very particular city when it comes to houses because everything is pretty much built up already. Um, there are townhouses and properties uh, from the 1800s, original builds from the 1800s to the 1950s. So um, one client and then a friend and then a neighbor start calling me up to develop um, basements and interior innovations that required um, a little more um, complexity than your basic, you know, um, kitchen layout. Um, and somehow between that demand and uh, the city's interest in developed new housing, I started converting basement apartments and garages into houses as well, like independent houses in Washington, D.C., um, they're called additional dwelling units. They are a secondary unit to the main house that you can rent or use or, you know, have a relative live in it. Those have been legal since 2016, and the legality of it plus the demand for housing made them a project that every a lot of people wanted. Um, so I did one, and then that became two, and then four, and now it's like half my portfolio became these, um, these, these type of projects. They're very small in square footage, but they have a, a, a huge impact on the, on the homeowners, on how they envision the house, how they plan for the house. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the, the kind of a leave it to beaver era where, you know, it was mom and dad and two kids and they lived in a house by themselves and had a big yard. And, uh, you know, I, I see things are, are changing, but what do you think is, is at the heart of developing secondary housing on what was originally a single-family fa- uh, piece of property? Yeah, so the, the main driver of this, there, there's several uh, drivers that pull people and, and, and make people in transform their houses in this way. The main one is affordability. Houses are becoming really expensive everywhere, um, and we're running out of land where to build them. Um, Also, families are changing. In the past, it was mom, dad, and two or four kids and a dog, and the houses that were available matched the description of what a family was. These days, Families have all different formats. You have more single people living by themselves than um, ever before. You have people with different abilities, physical abilities, trying to live independently. You have people of different ages trying to live in neighborhoods where housing may not be available. So, for example, somebody who retires doesn't want to live in a four-bedroom house 
but likes the neighborhood where those four uh, four bedrooms are houses are. So you know, you may own a house like that, and it's like, wait a minute, I can create a house in the back where I stay. I stay in my neighborhood, but I don't have to support or maintain the large home. I can rent it to somebody else. So I think that there's been a big dynamic on the change of family formats, the cost of housing, and also the acceptance that it's okay to live in a different way and to share portions of the house. Hey, you know what? Sharing the backyard with somebody else is not such a bad idea after all. You know, you can be um, an older person that doesn't want to maintain a yard but want to enjoy it. Well, the people living in the main house may do the work and, you know, it's, it's, you get the benefits of it. Uh, the same goes for shoveling snow or caring for a pet, you know. So I think that there's a lot of, social dynamics that make these smaller houses more appealing than just a real estate investment. And, and I've been seeing things uh, on um, cable television a lot about smaller homes. Are How much of, of this, um, this new, I don't know if we call it a trend, Ileana, but um, of this, this new uh, concept of of multiple homes on a on a single piece of property how many of them are refits to the existing structure and and how many are actually building another dwelling on that property um it has to do a lot with the existing stock and the conditions of the existing buildings for example here in dc um a lot of the properties have townhouses on very very tight lots where the only way to create a new dwelling is in the basement. So that's the, the only, I don't mean the only as in like limited, but it's like the only sort of reasonable within a budget is creating in the basement. So there are a lot of traditionally creating another dwelling in the basement was very natural. In properties where the lot is much larger and they have an existing garage where we convert the garage or we use a portion of the large lot to create a house. And I, mean, I don't mean like a tiny house on wheels that's really uncomfortable to move around. The, the sizes of these properties are about like a one-bedroom apartment, you know, where you have kitchen and dining and laundry and everything is like normal size, except instead of being in a tower in downtown, it's in somebody else's backyard. In in that scenario, are, are the people that are taking advantage of these uh, um, refits, are they typically multiple generation families like a, a, a young family having their uh, one of the spouse's parents living there with mm -hmm. them yeah um i have in my in in my office we have every kind fortunately uh we have the type of family that's like oh i i'm near touristy area so i'm going to create short term rentals for airbnb and I had other clients that's the opposite side of the spectrum where they said, hey, uh, they're the grandparents of a baby about to be born. And they say, you know what, this lot is huge. And they said, Let's, I'm going to sell my house in the, you know, in the opposite coast and I'm going to move uh, near my grandkids. But instead of buying a house in the neighborhood, I just build a house in the backyard of my kids. There are a lot of conditions on that which has to do with privacy and independence and investment that are the are the, the factors and then the design of the house can easily fit any of the other conditions and of course that that presupposes so that that there's room 
to build yeah, of course, to build of a house. Um, <laughs> well, another way to do it is even if you don't have room. And one of my first projects was the house was too big for the owner, and she decided to make the house smaller by subdividing and making the basement part of another apartment. So actually the house became technically smaller because only she only had the above ground levels, but she was able to um, to rent out the basements um, in the meantime um, with the idea of in the long term maybe moving there herself. Um, you know, she traveled a lot. So, um, so the idea is that if you don't have space in the yard, you can always think about the house. If the house itself is too big, or the uses you want to give it. And many times the houses are very easily convertible in two units instead of one. What about the zoning? Um, you said that, you know, it's it's becoming legal to do these things, but is is that pretty much true throughout the country, or are there no, zoning no. restrictions? <laughs> that is that is the, the, the main discussion, and I think it was something that will be fought in the next, I am expecting five to ten years. Single family, single family um, zoning is. It has been for decades uh, the American way of doing housing, or the goal of what a house should be in America, which is very unique to the country. Uh, nowhere else in the world, uh, lots are limited by the number of residential uses you can have. So, uh, but that single-family zoning also has exacerbated the availability of housing throughout the country. California is the prime example. One of the problems with housing costs in California, I know you're in Michigan, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not really aware of what the housing market is doing in Michigan, but one of the issues in California is that even if you wanted to create more and better housing, you were banned from doing that. Even if you wanted to create a basement apartment or a garage, you just couldn't do it by code. It has passed in the past, um, I think, couple of weeks, uh, the, a, a regulation from the state that kind of makes lots available to two houses instead of one. If you think about it, it duplicates the potential for housing development for every lot in the state of California. I mean, within limits, of course, like not every lot with other, you know, there are other limitations. But if you think about it, you just open the potential for basically um, housing costs controlling themselves instead of trying to create all these like artificial financial tools that are very short term and they're very expensive. Because if you don't have enough housing, there's so much you can do to make housing affordable. Yeah, I lived in uh, Los Angeles for a short time and and had one of those little secondary units, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a studio apartment t attached to the back of a guy's garage pretty much, but uh and and there were a lot of people doing that. I'm not sure how legal it was, but Right, it, that's the thing is like the problem with uh when uh for like additional dwelling units are not allowed by right, but the economic pressure is still there, then you start getting a lot of illegal and unsafe conditions. So right. when the reality is telling you, like you said, illegal dwellings are the common thing, the reality is telling you that the government needs to step, step up and organize that. You can't ban them because people have to live somewhere safely and comfortably. Ileana, um, so I, have I, to take, I have to take a short break here. Can you stick around sure. so we can talk some more? I will, I will. All right. My guest is uh, Ileana 
Schinder, author and architect. We'll have more right after this. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place 
where you never get harmed. A magical place with magical charms. Indoors, indoors, indoors. Take it away. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we continue my conversation with uh, uh, my guest this hour, who is an architect in Washington, D.C., and the author of a new book called Housing for Humans, a book to imagine, create, and design a new housing model in America. Um, and she is uh, Ileana Schinder, and she joins me by phone. Ileana, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem, Tom. It was fun to listen to uh, Michigan ads here, being in Washington, D.C., since <laughs> far away. Um, we were talking about some of the different ways that, that housing can change um, just the existing uh, single-dwelling housing that, that is typically the way neighborhoods are, are zoned throughout the country. Um, but how long did it take you to write this book and um how has the demand for housing changed during the the recent pandemic where people mm. were confined to their homes do they want more space less space what's what's happening now so the book took me about three to four years to think about and i was able to write it in about a year um give or take with edits right it, it's hard to say when one starts writing and when stuff stops um i was i worked with several nonprofit organizations <clears throat> here in washington dc to educate the public on what additional dwelling units are so i had this exercise of reaching out to homeowners and explaining technical and zoning and building things with layperson's terms. You know, for us architects, it's very easy to get into the nitty-gritty where, like, people stop caring very quickly because it's hard to understand. But working with those nonprofits and with the city of Washington, D.C., trying to educate the public, that gave me the tools to understand that not the way I think as an architect is the way to understand, to help somebody else understand housing and zoning and building codes. So it's hard to say when I started writing it because I also had um, like uh, writing in blog posts and outlets here in the D.C. area. Um, and the pandemic had a huge impact in residential design, like in every type of design. Um, people started using their houses complete differently because it became a source of care, of healthcare mainly, of work, of uh, learning, uh, but also of entertainment. If you think about it, we stopped going to movies, we stopped going to restaurants, um, it, like there was nothing to do. So this, the house and the neighborhood became a source of all these other things we would normally do outside of the home. You know, hey, you want to have... A, you want to hang out with friends, you go have a coffee outside. Well, maybe the back, we start looking at our backyard as a way to hang out with people safely. Um, but then people start saying, hey, you know what? The backyard that I haven't taken care of since I moved into the house, it's worth taking care of. So people start looking at their houses with more love, uh, but also with more stress because you have a lot more people, a lot more time sharing the spaces. Also, 
um, you can see that in how people um, uh, use furniture to help them and support that. The issue with doing architecture changes is by the time you're done designing and building it, it's very it's a very disruptive process. And a lot of the construction projects we had actually we had to postpone it because you can't do construction where you have like a family of five living in the house. Um, you know, like even if we needed a new and a better kitchen, it was like the worst timing to do it because people had nowhere to go. So um, that that created a big disruption. So I think that we're going to see the long-term consequences of the design. Um, we start seeing big, big changes in the demand for work as the pandemic evolved. So, you know, when everything shut down in March, we stopped getting demand for work for about two months, which was it's fine. Our projects are very long term because everyone was in shock and everyone was like in survivor mode. But when, in you know, May, June turn around, people started saying, hey, look, this, this, is, this is worth looking at. So we started working with a lot of clients uh, sort of planning long term the houses. And a lot of projects that we're building now are actually projects that started at the beginning of the pandemic. We started the design process. Our, you know, doing um, architecture is not something that, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot longer than uh, assembling a piece of IKEA furniture. <laughs> well, it, that may be true for some people, but I can, I can put in some real hours with assembling furniture. <laughs> Of course, I suppose it helps if you read the directions. Oh, that that may help as well. <laughs> <laughs> when everything else fails, read the directions. That's right. That's right. Um, Ileana, what what are some of the most common changes people are doing? Are they are they figuring out new ways to reuse their existing home, like converting bedrooms into offices or basements into theaters or classrooms? Yeah, so that is the conversion of residential is one of the things, I mean, I enjoy that a lot. Uh, one of the things I, I insist when I, I work with clients and even friends, you know, when we're over dinner is to stop thinking about the market as it's this monster that one has to, has to feed. Uh, the, each house has to serve the family and the owner that lives in it. And then if, you know, whenever you sell the house, people don't like it, well, big deal. So we start thinking about flexibility of, of rooms. So instead of having a guest room that sits empty 95% of the time, why not have a sleeper sofa and then have a desk or a family room or, and then have, have it ready whenever we're going to have guests? But stop thinking about potential uses or low-intensity uses that nobody um, nobody de dedicates any time to. I know it sounds silly, but, like, people do laundry every week, multiple times per weekend. So it shouldn't be in a place that it's so inconvenient and so poorly lit and so awful that you dread it. Why not putting it somewhere? And I'm not saying that laundry should take precedence over a nice kitchen or a living room, but spaces that we use frequently and that we need to use frequently shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be secondary to another. Uh, people are exercising more at home as well, so that is taking priority. So we're using the home in more different ways. So we need more flexibility. So and and, and the house stop being for show anymore. It has to be. It has to work. Right. So uh, from kitchen, so it, it's not like it's not like a camera will come in and, and, and show how wonderful the house is. It's like it has to be enjoyed wonderfully. 
Well, yeah, that's that's a, a, a good point, Ileana, because I would think, uh, you know, it. I, I remember having houses where there were rooms nobody ever went in. Correct. Um, that's very common. And, 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 and the whole idea of creating new and different housing is to say, why do we have all these sub-occupied rooms that we need to condition in the winter and cool in the summer and vacuum and dust why can't these rooms be my office? Why can't these room and all this portion of a house be dedicated for somebody else and get some rent and, you know, this space? And, and somehow the houses that we do have in the U.S. right now have, fortunately, a lot of wiggle room to make changes without actually changing the character of the neighborhood. I'm, I'm not an advocate for knocking down and start from scratch. On the contrary, I think that we have a lot, a lot of good bones to move forward in the right direction. Well, yeah, as, as we were talking about, you know, using the space more wisely, I, I was thinking of the number of houses I've lived in that had both a living room and a family room. Correct, correct. You know, who... Nobody ever goes in the living room. Right, right, right. But sometimes it's like, how can they be integrated to get better natural light? That becomes, that conceptually, the idea of like, how can we, how can we work with the space we have to make it better? You know, um, I'm not saying that every house should be a multiple unit, but also not to think that that is such a foreign concept, right? Uh, could a house accommodate a small business if the zoning allowed it, right? Uh, I always I always talk about that where I grew up in Argentina, every neighborhood had a corner store, uh, and it, it wasn't it wasn't big shopping. But if you're missing bread or cereal or milk, you just walk there. That in most neighborhoods in Wash in in the country is prohibited. You can't open a corner store, and a corner store could be to sell bread or a dentist or a yoga studio or I don't know uh, an architect's office. You can't do it by law, and that also creates um, increases traffic and, and creates all kinds of problems. Does the rise in demand for these kinds of alterations impact the, the housing laws? Are they changing? Are they loosening up? No, 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 no. Housing laws in the, in the U.S. are pretty strong. You know, it's, it's basically a lease agreement. Um, if you're going to lease it out or you can share with others, meaning like, you know, uh, multiple members of a family, so you, you're not going to have a lease agreement. But um, y no tenancy law needs to be reinvented to accommodate um, additional dwelling units. Just you have a traditional, um, a traditional uh, lease agreement between both parties. It gives you right of usage, gives you obligations, and got to pay what you say you're going to pay, you got to do what you say you're going to do, and that's it. Um, the, the, I think that the issue is not so much the legal tenancy laws, but the zoning laws that limit how many unrelated adults can live in a property. So still in the zoning laws, uh, there's still all these regulations of how many adults are unrelated, and like they're impossible to implement, and I'm not even sure why they're there anymore. But uh, basically, they ban certain number of people living in one property. If if uh, someone has a large enough yard and and a 
a secondary dwelling is is built on that property um, does that create a a new property for tax purposes no 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 <coughs> to create a new property uh, you need to subdivide the lot and create a new tax lot meaning that you tell the city that now it's two properties instead of one the key about additional dwelling units is that you have one tax lot that has two dwellings in it. So building-wise, those two lots are separate, but tax-wise, they're the same. And so we'll, you, can't, you can't put a lien on the one property or another. It's one. Are there distance right? uh, requirements that, that There dictate? are. Th yeah. So zoning may have some, um, you know, each zoning in each neighborhood, in each city will have their own requirements, but also the building code requires certain distance between them for, I think, fire purposes. So basically, if there's a fire on one, that the fire won't jump. So it controls the number and size of openings. It controls the type of uh, building envelope, right? So for example, if the you know, if, if the material on the exterior of the house can catch on fire or not. I mean, it's pretty deep into the building code, but basically it says how safe it is to have two properties next to each other and how unsafe it is. So that is what controls it. I don't know if it's 10 feet or something like that. It's not that far. They, uh, structures can be pretty close together. Because I know in some they places, like, uh, you know, um, when you think of... Uh, uh, I don't know, uh, condominiums, you see them, you know, just side by side, you know, connected, literally. Right, right. Rows. So, so the, the, the big difference is, like, they can be connected, but the connection between them has to be a one-hour fire separation. That basically means drywall. It's, not, it's no more sophisticated than drywall, except you have to have some sealant. Um, so smoke and fire won't travel between the, I mean, will we'll travel after a certain period of time. So the same goes from basement to main floors. That ceiling itself needs to be done a little bit differently from the traditional ceiling. So fire and smoke from one property won't jump into another. So the same goes for vertical partitions like walls or horizontal partitions like floors. If you have two different owners, uh, two different properties, that, 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 partition is a little bit different than the traditional wall you see in your house. This is uh, this is fascinating and and I know that things have changed dramatically, you know, in my own home since uh since the pandemic began. I you know, had I've always had an office at home, but now it's become a studio as well. Um, <laughs> but uh we also have uh well Sandy's mother is living with us now, which, you know, is a new thing, you know, just started recently. And so we're making some changes. But within the space we already have, you know, we, we don't have to do any structural changes. For, fortunately, we have the room. But a lot of people are um, making changes and things. In the wake of the pandemic, are you finding that, that people are uh, able to accept uh, living in less space or that there's a desire for more space because they're concerned they might be spending more time there? I think people want better space. It, it's not ah. just more or less, but they want better. Uh, the designs I normally do is because, like, uh, you know, like if you, you know, clients keep calling for that. It's a space that's like, oh, my God, there's nothing I can make work. 
And then we start exercising the design. And sometimes it has to do with like how circulation works and how you have how much access to natural light and how, you know, where the doors are located or how the storage is arranged. And many times there is no space to grow the house, but you can make enough good changes inside of the house that you completely transformed it and nothing happened on the outside. Of course, if we realize that you need more bedrooms and more bathrooms many times, if those need to be on the same level than the rest, well, we'll find we'll have to do an addition. But many times you can create significant good space in space that is underused. I mean, sometimes you don't have it, fine, we do an addition. But many, many times I'm always confident that every house has the capacity to be transformed within itself. Um, now, the the book, I, I, I want to make sure we talk about the book, Housing for Humans, a book to imagine, create, and design a new housing model in America. It, that's scheduled for release October 21st, 2021. Um, is it possible to get advanced copies of, yes, of the book? Yes, yes. So Right now, uh, the books are available via bookshop.org uh, and also through Amazon. So you can pre-order, uh, of course, like a lot of people already have pre-order as soon as the pre-order was allowed. The, the book jumped to pretty high rankings, which is, I, I was very happy about. But yeah, it is, it is available for pre-sale. And uh, I think the um, digital copy will come out in October 1st. I mean, I'm new about this publishing business. This is my first book, but um, I know it'll be available for digital download. And of course, we're trying to get it as well available to public libraries or institutions or nonprofits that may need it. So um, as soon as if you think like your public library should have a copy of the book, put us in touch or request that we, um, that, that we send a copy for evaluation. Uh, I understand that this topic is a public interest topic, so I'm always happy to make sure that uh, it's available to borrow from public libraries as well. Ileana, is this book um, aimed at, uh, at at regular people, at at uh, at us mortal humans, uh, to, <laughs> to consider yes, yes. things about our housing, or is this something that you think professionals? should really be looking at and benefiting from? I, I hope professionals read it um, because it gives the it gives permission to think about housing and think about families in a different way. This is not a book about policy or legalese or, uh, you know, details of construction. Uh, this book is for common people that they realize my house doesn't work or I need a house that will work for me. And it gives permission to think about how a house can work. And I touch on very, very sensitive topics like family formats or financial formats, or um, I touch on the racial component of urban design. But I touch it from the perspective of a common person trying to understand why this is going on. Am I the only person who's suffering through this? Um, and it's 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 okay to to start thinking outside of the box a little bit about home. Are there um, some examples and, and recommendations for reuse of space that uh, that do-it-yourselfers could? Ay, ay, ay. 
<laughs> pick up on. Um, I'm not so, trying to steal any clients, but no, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. Um, actually, there are uh, there are lots of examples that I use that I, you know, I came across in my um, in my farm. They're very good ideas of how we transform the spaces. There are no drawings or plans because I understand that this is a very every person. I'm I'm giving them eyes fresh eyes to look at their own homes instead of instead of me telling them how to do it i show them how they can think about it differently um i uh, i also taught touching the book a lot about what construction means and construction costs and why it's expensive and what are the pitfalls of or like these like flashy construction methods like oh look you know you can put your crane you can put it in your house with a crane or you can use a container box so and what happens when you do it yourself? You know, what are the, the drawbacks and what, what is the value, of, you know, when it comes to budget and timeline and experience? There is no one way to do it right, and there's no one way to do it wrong. But I, I hope to touch in the, um, in the book different criteria to use. It's like, should I be doing this or not? Where am I in, um, in my job condition? How long is this going to take me? How is this going to affect the budget? So, um, you know, we see a lot online and say, hey, look at this, you know, tiny home and wheels. So what happens with those ideas? And I basically give tools in the book to people when they see these things, how to think about it. What does infrastructure mean in a house? How does it affect infrastructure is air conditioning, plumbing, drainage. Those things are very, very important. And the fact that you can't see them, it doesn't mean that they don't cost or they don't cost when they break. So designing with all these things in mind is very important. Ileana, do you do most of your work in the D.C. area, or do you travel to other areas? I do work in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland, just because it's like almost we're like neighboring. So I am a licensed architect in three states. I haven't had demand to do this type of work outside of the region. Um, and, I'm, you know, I... I'd, I'd be happy to do it. I haven't had demand yet. Well, Ileana, I really appreciate you spending this time with me this morning. And we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yes, my, it's my it's my name. Fortunately, I'm the only one in Google. <laughs> so if you Google Ileana Schinder dot com, you probably find me right away. Uh, if you have questions about particular issues, or I'm always interested in educating the public about this. So I'm always happy to uh, talk with nonprofits. We can do it online. If you think that your neighborhood or your organization can benefit from this information, I'm always, always happy to share what I know and see how I can help them. Sometimes it has to do with a particular project. Sometimes it has to do with like, hey, let's try to understand what is going on in, in the region, and uh, I'm always happy to participate in those. Well, Ileana, it was a pleasure meeting you, and um, keep up the good work. Thank you so much, and I hope to chat soon. Take care. Again, that was uh, Ileana Schinder. She is an architect in Washington, D.C., and the author of a new book called Housing for Humans, a book to imagine, create, and design a new housing model in America. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 LPFM Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Odyssey House 
Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots more of the Tom Sumner Program coming up straight ahead. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, 
Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. We are in the process of buying a home. And you deal, when you buy a home, you deal with realtors, you see. Now, realtors are people who did not make it as used car salesmen, you see. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, you, see, you see the ads and you say, honey, this is our dream house. Then you go out to it, you see, and you meet the realtor. And he comes on like this. Well, hi there. Well, here she is. Boy, somebody's going to steal this little beauty, you know. I'm, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but uh, this baby is priced way below the market. Way below. This the wife, is it? How, how do you do? Breck Snyder. John Breck Snyder. Oh, look at is that. Is that the little baby? How, how old? 14 months. Huh? Boy, she, she's going she's gonna to break a lot of hearts when she gets older. A <laughs> 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 L- uh, little boy, is it? Huh? Wonderful. You always hate to give him the first haircut, don't you? <laughs> well, there she is. Boy, is, is that a beauty? Hmm? Yeah, there she is. It's, yeah, this is, this is what we call rustic. Hmm? This, is, this is kind of your rustic home. Well, of course, that's a question of semantics. You know, uh, when does it uh, quit becoming rustic and, and start becoming ramshackle? You know, it's <laughs> kind of hard to... It's a, it's a wonderful family home, though. It's got uh, seven, uh, seven bedrooms and one bath. <clears throat> Anyone with any imagination or, or, or happens to own a contracting business could just, just, do, uh, just do wonders with this house. It's, yeah, this is uh, three quarters of an acre. Mm-hmm. Well, not actually, well, come over the cliff here. Let, let me show you where. <laughs> <clears throat> where your property runs. You see, you, see down, you see the road way down there? That is all your land, all the way down to the road. I mean, I mean somebody, you know, somebody's car stalls and they start to lean on the cliff there, you can just say, hey, get off that land. That, that's, that's my land, you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you saw the ad, did you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, uh, you got the view of the ocean and, and the view of the valley. It's very, very rare. The, the ocean view. Um, yeah, you want to you come over here by the, by the cliff. That's the way. Yeah, you just, just get down. You see? Uh-huh. Now, can you see between the boughs there? There, there's, do you see the ocean? Wait a minute, wait a minute. There, there it is. You see it? You see it that time? Uh-huh. 
people, people tell me, that the people that own this house, they tell me they used to come out here, you know, Sunday afternoon and uh, get down on all fours and crouch and just, just, just watch the ocean and uh, all, all your troubles just seem to float away, you know? <laughs> just wonderful. The Valley View, yeah. Listen, you want to boost your wife on my shoulders? Let, let me show you the, the, the Valley View. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a Frank Lloyd Wright uh, kind of kind of feeling the home gives you you know it just kind of seems to fit uh, you know seems to flow uh, right right into the right into the the atmosphere there. As a matter of fact, the back of the house is starting to flow. I I think. It, yeah. Oh, and uh, uh, pardon. No, the people that lived here before tell me that uh, you you can hardly hear uh, anything from the sheet metal plant across the street there. Yeah, they say they they hardly even knew it was here. Uh -huh. Now, uh, folks. I did, folks, I didn't explain about the kitchen. Folks, folks, folks. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner.